So Money episode 1197, Lisa Phillips, founder of Affordable Real Estate Investments. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You get an appraisal and your appraisal is consistently and systematically less, even though another house across the street with uh, who has a different type of family, different racial demographic might get 10 to 20 percent higher. These have been proven. The statistics are out there. All of these are systemic and keeping the price low. Welcome to So Money, everybody. We are diving deep into the black home ownership gap today, stemming from the feature article that I wrote for Next Advisor this month. We're going to be speaking to one of the leaders in the space who's trying to transform the status quo. Home ownership has long been pursued as a means to build generational wealth in this country, but it has not been a level playing field, not even close. Black Americans have been systemically and intentionally discriminated against for generations at pretty much every step of the home buying process. And it's resulted in today a 30% black homeownership gap. And it's ironic because in 1968, we had the Fair Housing Act, which was supposed to ban discrimination in the housing market, but conditions have only really gotten worse since then. My piece for Next Advisor profiles some of the people who are at the forefront of this issue, this very important issue, and how they're trying to transform it from Assemblywoman Angela McKnight, who's from New Jersey, who is creating a bill to stop discriminatory appraisals, Yamie Rose, the founder of Of Color, who's creating a digital platform to promote financial wellness by and for people of color. And part of that is helping them build credit to be able to buy a home. Andre Perry, who's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institute, who has written a book about this and has actually done a massive study at looking at the valuation of property in America's black cities. And today we're going to talk to Lisa Phillips, also in the piece, who is the founder of Affordable Real Estate Investments. Her story is very unique. Lisa was seeking to create additional revenue streams outside of her corporate career where she felt underpaid and overlooked. So she started to look into real estate as an investment vehicle. And here's her strategy. Rather than zeroing in on up and coming markets where you can buy low and flip high, Lisa is putting money into the same neighborhoods where she was raised, predominantly black and brown neighborhoods, working class towns, where you might be able to find a fixer upper for say $45,000. And with some strategic upgrades, you can make it a really welcoming and safe home. And her approach is buy and hold, not gentrifying or flipping. She owns multiple properties and now she's teaching fellow minority professionals and middle income workers who don't have a ton of money to invest. Her company, Affordable Real Estate Investments, offers training. She's got a Facebook community called Sub30, which features over 12,500 members with their secrets, their tips, their resources. You can go to Affordable realestateinvestments.com for more. Lisa talks about some of the issues, the roadblocks to getting money to invest in real estate if you're a person of color, her strategy around finding these homes that she has had success with, these relatively low cost homes, $30,000, $45,000 homes, and more important advice. Here's Lisa Phillips. Lisa Phillips, welcome to So Money. How are you doing? 
I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for having me. I just can't get enough of you, clearly, because I interviewed you for my column on Next Advisor, which is all about the Black home ownership gap. Five people creating a more equitable housing market and their top advice for Black home buyers. You can go right now to nextadvisor.com and read this. And I highlighted you as one of the top people who is doing just that, creating a more equitable housing market. And so I thought your story, your personal story, but also your message, your strategy needs to be heard. So not enough to just do an article with you in it. I really wanted to have you on the podcast. So thank you for for agreeing to come, not once, but twice onto my turf. I am honored. Uh, I've known about you since like um, I met you at a FinCon just briefly um, in like 2014 or 15. I'm sorry. I don't remember the The year. The years just just blending together (laughs) at this point. Yeah, but um, I'm really proud of you and your success and I've watched the podcast grow. So I'm very honored and I'm really proud of what you use your platform for. Well, thank you. And the same, I would say to you, you are what I what we called in the article, you know, your, what your platform is really about investing in black communities. So maybe start by telling us, uh, before we get into the strategy and the approach, uh, tell us about why you became interested in investing in real estate. You run affordable real estate investments. Mm-hmm. This isn't something that you initial, initially sought out. You know, you worked in corporate America. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your personal transition to this space. Yeah. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. So I hope Please. you're <laughs> I'm not taking it easy on you guys. Uh, the reality is I just did not fit in corporate America. I grew up uh, lower income, but working class. So a very distinct culture here in America. And so you didn't have much money, but you had a lot of kids, lots of friends. And, uh, you know, you went to school, maybe college, maybe blue collar career, but, you know, a lot of beautiful value systems. But it's definitely on the lower socioeconomic uh, side of things. So going to college and wanting to make more money, you're, you go the corporate route. The thing is, being uh, a Black woman from a lower socioeconomic background, when you go into corporate America, the culture is the exact opposite. It's of the upper class. It's of, uh, you know, white America. And it's fine if you know that, but no one ever sits down and tells you. So me not knowing how I was showing up, but also being observant of what was happening, I just realized I was never going to fit into this. Now, the money was good. I like money. But what I had to sacrifice or I had to what I felt change about myself in order to make it work was just not a compromise I wanted to make with myself. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking for other ways to invest with I had some funds (laughs) like in my 401k, like $18,000, you know, I was like 20, 28 at the time. But uh, I just was looking for a way out and I started looking to see if real estate investing and getting rental properties could be part of it. And real estate, also an industry that has been dominated by white Americans in this country, and they have had a centuries upon century of head start on mm-hmm. building wealth in this country. And part of building wealth is has been for many a a formula that involves real estate. So when you arrived to the real estate landscape, what did you discover? 
Right, right. So I'm like, I'm looking for information and advice. And the majority of people who had the funds and money to do real estate investing was in that majority. And the reality was what they were saying was just a big disconnect from a normal person who maybe has 10 or $20,000. I don't have 50,000. And when I kept reading and researching, because of that generational wealth for them, they can easily say, Hey, if you need to raise money, just ask your friends because for them and their their group, that's <laughs> that is something that they can do. Oh, that lady at church that you're really good friends with. Oh, she she has tons of money. They just don't say it. But if you sat down with her over dinner, you might be able to raise fifty or a hundred thousand dollars to get your first properties. And it wasn't everyone who had that tone, but it was definitely an undertone of like this money is so easy. And the reality is, for me, I've always had to throw away it's so easy and look at who they're talking about and making sure they were talking to me. And the reality is my friends and family, and because we don't have that generational wealth passed down, that's not accurate. That is not the way we can do it. Um, The thing is the people giving the advice and you can go on all the forums, you'll see this over and over again. They didn't know anything else. Like for them, the wealth is so much there. Like it's just literally asking, it's literally asking a bank and getting it, right? Whereas we already know the statistics show that if you're Black and you go to the same bank with the same money and credit profile, you're 20 to 30% likely to get denied. But for them not living that reality, they're like, it's so easy, just ask, the money just opens up. And so it was really just recognizing that they weren't really talking to me and having to do my own thing. Now, my own thing was, you know, why don't I invest in neighborhoods I grew up in? You know, I don't have a problem with uh, working class or lower income black or brown people. I'm fine. Like that's where I come from. And I realized that um, I did that once. I did it. I bought a house for $35,000, like a condo um, in a really nice working class neighborhood. Then I bought one for 13 and then I bought one for 25,000. And I realized that, okay, when I go to the message boards, when I try to go online to find information about this, these type of homes in these neighborhoods, it's very, very negative. But then I sort of knew, like, what can they tell me about my own neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, OK, I did this a few times. I got a little system. I heard what they said, but it was for me very easy to circumnavigate or build strategies around anything they perceived were really negative. I was like, oh, you just do this. Oh, you're worried about crime. Just look at the crime reports. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's not that serious. And um, I was just like, I have to tell other people because there's other people like me in corporate America. We're smart. We're capable. We just don't fit in, nor, nor do we really want to fit in. And I was like, I just have to tell people like, you're missing out. They're saying, oh, don't go in these neighborhoods. But I was like, this is like, these are wonderful neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. especially if you're from there. And the reality was when I started sort of talking about this on YouTube, there are people like me from these neighborhoods, but you know, they mobilize through education and through their work to a different, you know, socioeconomic level who were like, yeah, I come from this Lisa. And they do say no, but what you say resonates. I can't just get $100,000 like they think is so easy. That is not our reality. And so when I came along, they were like, you're finally saying what no one else wanted to say. And that sort of just built a movement of people from all over the country who were like, I can do this. And these are our neighborhoods. And I actually care about the people in them. And I'm not trying to gentrify and flip and push them out. I'm going to give them a long-term house. And so it was just giving voice to what needed, I think, to be voiced. So just to summarize what we've learned so far is that your strategy is uncommon, where often when you hear about investing in real estate, the smart, the quote unquote, smart money tries to find these up and coming neighborhoods, you buy low, you flip high. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your strategy instead is to pour your money into the same neighborhoods 
where you were raised, you know, same profile of neighborhoods. These are predominantly black and brown communities, working class towns, where I was surprised to hear you can find fixer uppers for 30,000, 35,000. Why are they priced so low? $30,000 in 2021 seems even in some of these neighborhoods that you describe is just underestimated. Um, are these underestimated homes or they're actually worth around that much? So two things. Uh, I started this in 2013 and uh, those prices were definitely prevalent, but I've been doing this for eight years and people have been listening to me for eight years. So a lot of the really cheap ones got picked up. So we shift to sort of like forty to $60,000, right? And it really just depends on what part of the country. So they're around, but you have to be more selective. So a lot of the people I work with invest out of state to get to these markets that have them. Um, but two, uh, oh gosh, I love that you asked that. Why are they underpriced? Okay, so value rises where money flows into, right? So if uh, the majority of people who, there's a home ownership gap of 30%, right? So if the people buying homes wouldn't step foot in the neighborhood I grew up in, the money's not flowing into there. Thus, the value is not rising, right? If the people who live there can't get loans at the same rate, or when they get their homes appreciated, depending on the color of the inspector, it's going to be equal to what it should be, or it could be, you know, 10, 20, 30% less than the appraised value if the inspector, you know what I mean? And you're, you're dealing with those issues. You're getting consistent, institutionalized, systemic ways to make sure the value stays low, right? So you can't buy if you're the people there because of mortgage bias and redlining. Um, you get an appraisal and your appraisal is consistently and systematically less, even mm -hmm. though another house across the street with uh, who has a different type of family, different racial demographic might get 10 to 20% higher. These have been proven. The statistics are out there. All of these are systemic and keeping the price low. So does the price low mean that it's undesirable? No, it's systemic. It's, it's right. part of the entire fabric of this country. Um, and so what I do, I'm really happy about because we are the ones pouring the money into these neighborhoods and thus raising the value but we're doing it in a very culturally sustainable way. Right. When we spoke, you were really proud of the fact that you have attracted this, this group, these group of investors who are like you, they're black, they're brown, they're, they grew up in these neighborhoods mm -hmm. similarly. And, they're, and you told me this is who should be putting money into these neighborhoods. It shouldn't be others. Yeah. Who are going to go in there without the, the same sort of empathy and cultural respect. Um, and so this isn't as fast of a, of a get rich. <laughs> Not at all. No. Right. So tell us about the financial benefits for investors. Right. And um, uh, I love that you mentioned them because, uh, you know, I just want to say something. It's always been on us to do it. But now with the Internet making learning and outreach so accessible, now we can take those resources we've built to do it and do it a little bit more comfortably without having to stumble around in the dark and make those first-time investor mistakes. So the money is great. So when you only have a little bit of money, but you really want to get into realist, and I say little bit, I mean like 10, 20, 30, like that's a lot of money to some people, but I, I do target professionals who make anywhere from 40 to a hundred and plus thousand dollars a year, right? You're and not getting a mortgage, right? Because the bank's not going to give you a mortgage on a home. That yeah, you, little, you right? get a mortgage. You're fine. You can. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you just have to be really discerning. 
So uh, not every bank wants to play in these fields, uh, even though they'll they'll have a bank right in those neighborhoods, but won't get a loan for those prices in the neighborhoods. And, you know, they'll just get a little fine and keep going with that sort of predatory, like take your deposits, but not give loans to you to get houses in the communities that they sit in. So that is a whole other issue of them getting fined and just part of the system. But uh, when you are a professional and like me, you're in this environment where you just simply don't fit in and don't want to do sacrifice who you are in order to be in, taking 10 or 15K and putting it in one of these properties is a great slow way. So you got to understand, like um, for uh, the black professionals out there who are listening or, you know, brown professionals who want to do this for their own communities, you know, it's a nice slow way to put the money that you have, make it start working for you as you slowly accumulate over time. And we generally go for a pretty good cash flow anywhere from um, depending on what region of the country in the South, you get a, bit, a little bit less than you do in the Northeast. But, you know, we're looking for two, three, four hundred dollars a month in cash flow. That's above and beyond all your expenses. Um, you do that once a year for five years. You're up to about, you know, you're easily up to about two thousand dollars in cash flow. That's not the type of money they talk to on these big real estate investing blocks. They're like, oh, I got 180 unit properties, but I'm not in that world. For me to take five years and get to two to $3,000 in cash flow, that's enough for me to maybe quit a job I don't like and focus on building a community or platform or give myself to service the way I've always wanted to, but I don't have to rush out and get another job to take up that time. I can do it on my own. So I do have a more modest approach, but the 80% of us out here need modest. We don't have, you know, 20% have the money that <laughs> have to hold all the wealth, the other 80%, you know, it's really, really into small strokes, you know, can fell a tree. It, it really is in those little small steps that, you know, I've been in this for eight years. You look back and you're like, oh, look, I have equity. Oh, look, that house I bought for 35 is now after eight years worth 100. Okay, that's nice, right? But it was like a little, little bitty steps because none of that was passed down to me. It wasn't a friend or a church, you know, it wasn't a husband or a church group member away. It was eight years and slow and steady steps. Mm-hmm. And the other added benefit, of course, as we talked about, is the the social, the mission-driven benefits, right? You get to feel good about what you're doing, that you're getting to keep people in their homes at an affordable rate for 20, 30 years, you're not interested in displacing them. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes worry that your strategy is going to like the wrong people are going to learn about this strategy? Yeah. <laughs> you know they, what I mean? Wonder, not to scare <laughs> you, but I, I no, no, they do. That's why I've actually been very discerning. And so people know about me, but I was generally going towards where my audience of black professionals would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's okay to get a little bit louder because there's so many of us and we've definitely shown away. So I will say this, a lot of people who are not my target audience might approach me and their only thought is flipping. And I was like, so if they talk to me one-on-one, cause I do one-on-one calls and the, the first thing out their mouth is, yeah, these are cheap. Are these a great places to flip? I'm like, is that really what you want to do? It's just a calm question, but it just slows things down. Like, and I, I want them to think bigger about what they want to do. Do you really want to displace people who are already vulnerable and put them in worse positions? Is that what you want to give to this world? And, you know, it's an interesting like question to ask because I find sometimes they didn't even consider the idea of giving long term to lower income or working class families like they, they, they hadn't considered that was an option. But it's interesting seeing them go from, oh, I didn't think that we could do that. I thought it was all just big and flip money. I was like, you can be whatever you want because we all have free will. But is that what you want to contribute to the world? 
And I, I found that I just just doing this naturally because I have pride in who I am. I don't care that I grew up poor. I'm telling you I was happier than you. I'm telling you, okay? Like poverty does not mean that you're not ethical or that you don't clean up or that you don't- Or that you don't pay your rent. That's the other thing. Yes. There's, this, uh, there's this perception that these lower income neighborhoods or these working class neighborhoods are not going to be good for the money. There's that, right? There's that characterization. Yeah. And it's, and honestly, what I've noticed, it's your choice if that's the reality that you're going to live. Because in my properties, for the most part, there's something that needs to be done. It gets cleaned up. And, you know, when I fix it up, I don't put tons of money. You're not going to get upgraded countertops, but it looks nice. I took the time to make sure you get a nice place, right? Um, It's warm. There's no leaks. There's no pests (laughs) for the most part, right? And um, I attract the best of the neighborhood, because they can recognize the work and effort I put into it. But I also know if you're not putting anything into it, you get what you put out. So the people with the worst stories treat their properties and their people, I think, the worst, like as mm-hmm. not of benefiting. So I actually, so I do find that my investors are very happy that they found a way to not only line their profit pockets and get generational wealth, but also give back. Because I try to tell people the best type of business is the business where and your service to yourself, you're servicing others, right? So mm-hmm. I found that people are really happy. And, you know, not like 80% of my audience is Black professionals, but 20% is other, mostly white. But, you know, they actually appreciate it because they get to tear away from the programming that it's always bigger, faster, more, more money, squeeze it. And they're getting away from that programming and they get near me. And the Look, program is... I watch Wolf of Wall Street. I know how they, I know how it works. Um, <laughs> programming, right? And... So uh, tell me a little bit about the area. So where are you, where have you invested? Where, where do you see opportunities geographically? I mean, all over the country, of course, but are there, are there ones that are worth highlighting? I generally don't get specific into markets like that, but it's the Northeast, the Midwest and the South. Uh, So I work with a lot of California clients because they generally can save a lot of money because of their high um, salaries. However, they can't purchase a property where they live. Right. So expensive. Yeah. So they have money in the bank, but not in like, you know, they, they just don't want to buy a home or rental property where they live. So it's, it's generally wherever you are. So if you're the Northeast, we try to stay there and there are homes in these particular areas. Um, I, you know, I do have a system where I show people, but I've stopped some time ago telling which markets, because if I say a market, like a thousand investors will invade it and there'll be no more properties left for my clients. So I sort of just, we find them, no one's talking about them. And we just sort of keep it a little closed mouth. Just, mm-hmm. I just have a big, um, I found out about two years in my platform was big enough and the trust and influence I had was wide, big enough where if I literally, if I set a city, it, I mean, they'll buy it all. <laughs> like, okay. I need to be quiet. I got, I got to be a little bit more discerning about this. I feel like what you're doing is very much reactive, right? Like the system is broken. No one's going to fix it fast enough. So in the meantime, I'm going to protect myself and my people. Mm-hmm. And what is the next step of it? Like, what is the next level? Like, do okay. you, this, you know what I mean? Like we, we want, the, we want there to be change. Like in an ideal world, you don't have to do this, right? You can, you know what I mean? Like, because I mean, actually, actually I, I have a different, what do you think? Point. Tell me, tell me. Um, just in my life and especially with my spiritual journey, what one thing I've had to really learn is that everyone has their own journey. So if you're a whatever position and it makes whatever position or money it is, I really learned that I had to lean back. It's not my place to tell them 
to make more or do more because they're at where they're at for where they're at, right? Like that's their choice to, to be that. And if it, and if it makes a salary, that's not keeping up with inflation, it is still their choice to decide if they're going to stay there, if they're going to try to get help or move. So I actually have a different take on that because I'm really into letting you do what you want to do. And if you want to go to the next level, I'll be here to help you. If you want to stay where you're at, that's fine as well. And, and so with that mindset, when I, we go into these neighborhoods, I'm okay with like the individualized nature of it because, um, you know, I don't want a big government entity going in and then telling everyone who they can have in their house, if they can smoke cigarettes or not. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't want that just because it's bigger. I prefer us individually going in and, um, you know, the culture that I have and my people who stand strongly behind it, we're not, we'll raise the rents a little bit, but we're very discerning and very careful about it and very mindful of our place and our position and our power. We're mindful of our position of power uh, in people's lives to have long-term rental income. And I really, that's really has paid for ourselves because during COVID, we have not had the same issues that other groups are having, right? Because we've already established this really firm foundation of who we're going for and who we're serving, right? Because when you're a landlord, you are serving them. That it has um, it has an effect that we just have a really strong foundation. So I I, I just really prefer I just really infer, prefer the individualized nature of it. Now the next step is now that I've built up this community of thousands of black professionals across the country who now have experience. The next step is us as a community of black investors going, hey, we're going to all go into this town together. And this is the town we're going to target. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to be close. We're going to be united. And it's not going to necessarily be like a nonprofit or anything. We do it as individuals, but collectively as individuals in the same place and really start trying to discuss and bring new initiatives to the forefront about, okay, we picked off these neighborhoods. What about the really lower income ones? What can we do and start testing experiments. But that still starts with our leadership on it and our communities um, of people who are now more experienced and a lot more savvy. So if we're going into the places we avoided that had higher crime, well, how do we do this smarter and better with a whole bunch of investors who have different levels of experience with dealing with it successfully? It's really leveraging the power of community and really being able to make an impact. One of your pieces of advice in the article that you are featured in on Next Advisor is that you recommend for anyone listening who wants to learn about real estate investing, wherever you're at in the, in the journey, is to leverage social media, which um, I thought was great because that is where people are talking and that's mm-hmm. where the experienced people are sharing the experience and the behind the scenes. And so um, I know your Facebook community, which is called Sub 30K, has over 12,500 members. And talk about some of the connections and the learnings and the secrets that have been traded on that platform. Yeah. And they are my heart because I just started this and it was so like, I just felt so honored that the kind of people I was attracting who heard my message and stuck with it. I'm just really honored about who they are because each within their own right, they're like amazing people. Um, They don't necessarily have a platform, right? Or featured in articles, but they're amazing people. And so what I found was I would help them but then they would school me on something. Did you know this? Did you see this? Oh, you know what? In this place, this is what you do. You just get a lawyer. They'll take care of that. 
And what was happening was this beautiful feedback loop and mechanism where we make each other great, right? They tell me something, I show them something, we showed me something. And so every single time we just build off each other to make it better. And some of the things we share are like, what are the five banks that'll give loans in this price range, right? And I like to tell people this, there's thousands of banks out there, right? But like five, get all of our money. And that's how it should be. Because the five that aren't making it hard for a Black person to get a mortgage and to fix and get an investment property should get all of our coins. And we shouldn't dilute mm-hmm. the people who have a 20 or 30% chance of getting a denial simply based on race, right? Even if my money's good, even if my work history's good, there's always something to make it fall through. So it's really important for us to network because sometimes we don't even know that it's an issue until someone speaks out and says, hey, did you guys notice code enforcement here down in, you know, Florida and whatever part we're looking at has been having uptick in code violations? And then a simple conversation by you putting it out there finds out, oh, they're re- they're gentrifying and they're they're trying to get people out so they can get the properties for cheap. Right. And so you wouldn't have known without that conversation And then you can unite and go, oh, we're not letting this happen, right? So at least you can start getting action. That's just one example, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, who's a good contractor. But word of mouth really matters in our community because not everyone works with us well um, for their own biases or their own systemic racism issues. They don't work well for us. And if we go into those systems, we get battered. And it's really, really nice to be in a place with people from all over the country where I can shortchange all of that and just get to the good people the people who do treat me fairly and honestly, and I don't have to worry about that. And that's important because we can only take so much abuse and battering from this Mm -hmm. world that says it's equal, but we literally, and I live by numbers, literally have the numbers that says it's a hundred percent not. So, and I I don't say that with hate in my heart. I say it with understanding. This is what we're going. I like to teach people how to navigate within a broken system successfully and for our people it's a lot of people, some people's jobs are trying to change it. And and I'm just more of a navigator. Well, this is how we're going to go around that. And um, both right. of us, both of us matter because while you're doing the really, 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 really hard work, this could be a little easier if we just come together and we talk more. I like that. I think that's so honest. I'm a navigator. I'm not, you know, tr- here to try to uh, rewrite the rules, although you are in a way, you know, you're writing yeah. your own rules. You're not yes, I'm just talking to Rachel Rogers. I'm sure, you know, uh, Rachel, or if you don't, everybody, uh, will soon know, um, she's the author of, we should all be millionaires. And she and I were talking about how today, maybe we expect everybody to be like the whistleblower and file a lawsuit and be really loud. Like I'm talking about people who are, for example, minorities or um, marginalized communities, let's say you, you yourself, like working in corporate America, feeling undervalued. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you go and, you know, go to the wall street journal with your story and maybe go to HR and all the, and cause like a news event around it? Or do you go and, you know, find other ways to build wealth as a navigator, you did the latter. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of like idea now that, you know, we have to work on the system. We have to repair the system. I agree. But sometimes you just need to just like bring home the bacon, right? You have to go to work. You have to produce money. There's no shame in that. Like, I just want people to know that sometimes you don't have to be the martyr. Um, Sometimes you just have to be the navigator. And I'm thankful for the martyrs. (laughs) Yeah, that's hard work. I'm not, not, I don't live every day like that. I just can't. I, I, 
I have to, I have two kids. <laughs> I will say this. Um, I think the way we grew up and sort of, you always had these movies giving you this thing that one person's going to help bring it down and fight. And those people exist and I love them. And, you know, I try to give them the support where I can, but I also, and this is where spirituality comes into it. Everyone has their own journey. And if this system is very racist, instead of me trying to participate in it and trying to change their mind, it's on them to awaken at their point, right? When it's when it's on them to awaken between them and their spiritual self, when they are going to awaken and open their eyes. And I just found out it's a lot better for me to just focus on what I can do and the people I'm here to serve than try to wake all these people up. Because someone gave their life, people are giving their lives multiple times on tape by the cops to wake people up. You know, there's there's spiritual things going on to make sure that that was so public and that everyone saw it and it caused this mass awakening. I mean, there's reasons for that. And there's people who are martyrs themselves who, I mean, that was part of this big big thing that's going on right now. Um, That's not all of our place. And it's really important to go inside and know like, what are we here for? And um, I will say this, we've been like doing it this way we've we are being successful we are getting our properties we are committing to these and you're leading leading by example look at all the people you're inspiring by you being a navigator in your life you are creating a movement of fellow navigators yeah Mm -hmm. and that's powerful so this is you know i'm so glad that we're having this conversation one question out of curiosity uh this is like going back a few uh minutes when you go into these towns, neighborhoods and purchase property, let's say $35,000, who are you buying it from? Who who was the previous owner? Interesting. Is it a person who is from that community or is it an outsider? Is it a bank? Who's who's usually the the seller? It could be either or. I happen on the few properties I bought, they were owner occupant or um, someone who was trying to get rid of it because they inherited it from a family member who passed away. So generally owner occupant, but now, I mean, when I work with my clients and I'm helping them invest, it is 50-50. Sometimes it's a homeowner who's just like, I don't want it anymore, or I got it inherited, or it's an investor who's like, I'm good. I just want to sell. Like, I try, I, I want to put more money into Bitcoin <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they're selling just because they want the money for whatever reason. And it's just their time is up for being the owner of that property. Lisa Phillips, thank you so much. You are a wealth, a wealth, a fountain of wealth of knowledge. Um, and I thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you. I'm glad. And I hope you guys got value out of this. Thank you so much for allowing me. I, I feel so honored and blessed. So thank you. Thanks so much to Lisa for joining me. Check out affordablerealestateinvestments.com for more on Lisa and her programs and also her Facebook community, Sub30 Mastermind Group. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave a review, subscribe, tell a friend. Very important. This podcast has pretty much grown thanks to you, your word of mouth, your loyalty, your subscription, your reviews, all of that. Thanks so much for joining. See you back here on Wednesday, where we are going to be talking to the one and only Norma Kamali, famous fashion designer who has been paving the way for the past five decades. Until next time, I hope your day is so money. Money.